so many in the past, gone on before us, gifted of God, to write music and poems and all that they've been that they've accomplished and done for the Lord. And we should not let it die, folks. Remember them. Remember those who went before us and what they've given us. Such a legacy. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 26, this morning. This is Levi the publican, tax collector. Matthew, chapter 26, and verse number 20. It's one of the twelve. In other words, he's an apostle. Matthew chapter 26, verse 20. Now when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say to you that one of you shall betray me. What a shocking thing to say to the twelve. And when they were exceeding sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him. Scripture must be fulfilled. Not one jot or one tittle shall fail. But notice carefully the condition. But woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, New Testament word, the counterpart of Judah in the Old Testament, which means praise, glorify God. Then Judas which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? And he said unto him, Thou hast said with your own mouth, you condemn yourself. By thy words thou shalt be justified. Father, bless this holy book now, and give me the unction to preach it. Let the sweet Holy Ghost come down, Lord, and confirm his word, and affirm it to the hearts of the people. Lord, you know what I am. I'm the messenger. But the Holy Spirit can take your word and go much, much deeper than I ever could think of doing. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. This is commonly referred to as the Lord's Supper, which of course is a good term for it. And he's preparing his disciples for what's coming. They still have a hard time understanding why he's here. Because some of them in the book of Acts chapter 1 say, Now Lord will at this time restore the kingdom to Israel. They were concerned about a physical, earthly kingdom. They had, an, they had a problem understanding the nature of the kingdom. You can have a physical kingdom, but you can also have a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of God, if you were born again, if you're born again today, you were born into a spiritual kingdom that is invisible to the natural eye. But my dear friend, it is as real as you sitting in this house today. And so in the book of Matthew chapter 26, he tells them plainly what's coming. He prepares them for it. If you notice in verse number 56, Matthew chapter number 26, in verse 56, it's a long chapter. Notice what it says. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Do you notice that? And the apostle Peter said in Matthew 16, the Lord said, will you also go away? And he said, to whom shall we go? He didn't say, where shall we go? He didn't say, what shall we go to do? He said, to whom shall we go? The Apostle Peter already had a grasp of what it was all about. It was not about a thing, a purpose, a ministry. It was about a person. And he said, to whom shall we go? Thou art the words of eternal life. We believe and sure thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But if you notice how that they 
they, they, they forsook him. All the disciples forsook him and fled. Now this comes in three stages. Because first of all, you find a multitude following him. Matthew chapter 15, verse 29, they came. Why? He fed them because of their flesh, because of something that they can receive in the flesh, make them feel good and so forth. That's what most of the churches in this country minister to. They minister to the flesh, not the soul and spirit. Then we read how that, uh, that, uh, that the disciples, we read about here, many of his disciples, we, uh, they, depart, they departed and forsook him. You'll find this in John chapter number six when he gets into the essence of what the new birth is about and what spiritual things are about that really matter. He said, except you eat my body, drink my blood, you have no part in me. But then he later told him, he said, the words that I say unto you, they are spirit and they are life. My dear friend, there's no way that you can keep his body 2,000 years ago, but our poor Catholics are trying by transubstantiation to do that. And each Sunday they think they can turn, turn bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. No need for it, folks. I'd, I wish they'd understand that. He offered one sacrifice for sins forever and sat down at the right hand of the Father. He said, it is finished to telestai. Don't need to add any more to this. It's done. It's finished. Amen. And that's one of the major things of the New Testament. I don't care how well-meaning you are, how, how informed you think you may be. I don't care how minuscule the issue might be. Anything that you try to add to what he did at the cross, my dear friend, is a blaspheme in the sight of God. Why? Because you are detracting from what he did. You're saying that what he did was not enough and that you need to add something to it. No, you don't. And first of all, you can't add anything to it. It's finished. Hallelujah to God. And so they departed from him. And then finally, in John chapter number 20 and verse number 19, we find the disciples gathered together for fear of the Jews. So even his apostles had fled and were hiding because of the Jews. So from the multitude to the disciples and now to the 12, they have all departed. But one stayed and he's the one who wrote the last gospel. And he's the one who wrote the last book of the Bible. And his name is John, Ione in Greek, the beloved of God, John the Apostle, that laid his head on the breast of Christ and said, who is it? He knew it wasn't him that was going to deny his Lord Jesus Christ. John, the beloved apostle. And he told the rest of them, he said, there's one here that'll see me come. He's not going to die like the rest of you in your time period. He'll see me come. And they argued among themselves and wondered, who's he talking about? It was John that saw him come. I saw heaven opened. He said, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he that judge and may he saw him come. Amen. Amen. He saw him come. You see, God chooses who he chooses. And in the book of Acts, when he chose the apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, a murdering devil with a handful of script to go to Damascus to carry Christians back to be stoned to death, he chose him. And he told Ananias that he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name unto the Gentiles. Per personally chosen by God Almighty. There, this crowd today, if you ever hear one of them say this, my dear friend, you're listening to a serpent as it hisses from hell. If they say anything to detract from the ministry of the Apostle Paul, you're dealing with a devil. Amen. And they're out there. They're all over the internet. 
and they're saying that he changed the gospel. He's not one of the 12, that he created his own ministry. And my dear friend, they're liars from the pit of hell. He wrote half that New Testament. And what they're doing, my dear friend, is not attacking the apostle Paul. They're attacking your Bible. Amen. They're attacking your scripture. And make no mistake about it, I don't care who he is, how many accolades he has hanging around his neck, how high his degrees. If he causes you to doubt what you've got in your hands as God's inter in absolute infallible word, he came from the pit with his doctrine. So we read over here that they disciples, they, den they, denied, they denied him and they, they ran from him. But he's attested, look at Matthew chapter number 27. Matthew chapter number 27 and verse number 4. Matthew chapter number 27 and verse number 4. They talk about his innocence and it comes from some of the most unlikely. Matthew chapter 27 verse 4. Saying, this is Judas verse 3. I have sinned in that I have betrayed, now note carefully, the innocent blood. He didn't simply say innocent blood because innocent blood could be related in the circumstances of innocency. A baby in its manger, when it's murdered by some terrorist, he murders innocent blood. That's innocent blood. But he said, the innocent blood. In plain words, Judas got a hold of it finally. He got a hold of the doctrine of who he had denied. He realized that this is the promise of Genesis 3.15. This, my dear friend, this seed of the woman, the blood that the Lord Jesus Christ talked about, that, that this disciples, this, this ministry, this group, this generation, while he was here on this earth, he said, upon you shall come all the judgment, all the condemnation of the righteous blood from Abel and to Zacharias that was slain by the temple. That's what he's talking about. This is the innocent blood. Did Judas tell the truth? Let me tell you something, folks. The devil can tell you the truth but he'll follow it with a lie or he'll tell you the truth and wrap it in a lie. My friend, he's deceitful. He's a liar. He, when he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, but he can catch you with the truth, but he'll always distort it and pervert it. Notice what it says in verse number 19 of Matthew chapter 27. And when he sat down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him saying, have thou nothing to do with this just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. How do you dream? Do you rest at night? Do you toss and you turn? Are you fighting when you go to bed at night? A dream, a night when wrestling like that and you have no peace in your soul. You have no prayer life. Hey, you can't get a hold of God. You can't read his Bible. Nothing speaks to you. It's as dead to you as it can be. Yet you profess that you're walking with God. Let me tell you something. He gives peace and rest to his people. Amen. How's your prayer life? How are you sleeping now? And here's, here's the wife of Pontius Pilate. And she said, I'm not sleeping. This shows you something about how God does things. Because he begins to reach out to this one and reach out to that one. Why does he do it? Because we all must give an account to God. Every one of us. I have to answer for the life I live. You answer for the life you live. I answer for the light I have. You answer for the light you have. I answer for the light I won't. You answer for the light you won't. I answer for the light I reject. You answer for the light you reject. Seek the face of God. Quit following your feelings. Or your mind, or even your heart. Take God's word and lay it out in front of you and say, Lord, my mind may be so distorted. My heart may be so vile. I may be so off on the wrong track. Open your word to me. Speak to me from the Bible. Amen. That makes me a believer in the Bible. I believe the Bible, friend. 
I know a lot of fundamentalists that don't believe the Bible. I believe the Bible. I love the Bible. Well, sometimes the Bible tears me all to pieces. I say, why in the world do I love a book like that? Well, it tears you up because God wants to get right with you. Amen. Hallelujah to God. Amen. And so we have Pilate, verse number 24. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather a tumult was made, he took water, washed his hands before the multitude, saying, listen to this, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. Notice how blood's mentioned. The innocent blood. Notice the blood. You see, blood is a blood is a blood is a is a is a is a, is a word in the Bible that has to do with, with the person, the whole personality, who we're dealing with, his blood. You remember when Abel was murdered? You remember that? You remember what God said to Cain? He said, the voice of your brother's blood crieth to me from the ground. Amen. That blood's a big deal. The life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar for an atonement for the soul, Leviticus 17, 11. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. By his own blood, he entered into the holy place to come to the presence. Don't know carefully, folks. With, listen, you're talking about a sinless, perfect son of God. Yet he took his blood to enter into the presence of Jehovah. Amen. Quite a think about that. I don't want innocent blood on my hands, do you? I don't want any part of it. Pilate said, I'm not guilty. But in the book of Luke chapter 23, look what Herod said. He sent him to Herod. Now this is Herod Antipas. And so what you have here is passing the buck. You remember Harry Truman, when he became the president, he had a little thing on his desk and he was known for it. Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt died in Warm Springs, Georgia, in the middle of, the, of that World War II dogfight. And here we have Truman that takes over. He was his vice president. And there on his desk, it had a, it had a little, little sign that said, the buck stops here. <laughs> That's quite a thing. When Israel, May the 14th, 1948, when Ben-Gurion got up and spoke and declared that Israel would become a sovereign nation again for the first time in 2,000 years, the first man to acknowledge them as a nation was Harry Truman. Yes, sir. Harry Truman said he put his mark on them and acknowledged them as a nation. Why? Because the buck stopped there. In plain words, he said, I'm going to do this. Whether you like it, Republicans or Democrats, it makes no difference to me. I'm going to do it. We need that kind of leadership on the hill up there. Amen. That's what he said. So in the book of Luke chapter number 23, it was passed to Herod Antipas. And what did Herod Antipas say? Look at, look at Luke chapter 23. And verse number 13, Luke 23, 13, when he examined Christ and Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, rulers of the people, said to them, you have brought this man to me as one that perverted the people. And behold, I have examined him before you and have found no fault in this man. Touching those things, wherever you accuse him, no, nor yet Herod. See that? See that? Nor Herod Antipas, he found nothing. Now, Herod was a tetrarch. What's that? He was in charge or in control of one-fourth of the territory of Israel of that day. He's a tetrarch. He shared it with others. Uh, Herod the Great, so-called, had a lot of sons. And this is one of them that was a direct successor of him. So what did he say? No, not Antipas either. So in the book of Luke chapter 23 and verse number 41, look what the thief said when he examined him. The thief said this, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. Let me add my little two cents worth to it. I've been measuring him, my dear friend, since 1973. 
night and day, in and out, up and down, all the things that come to life through death and suffering and sorrow, lying in a hospital bed and in the pulpit preaching God's word, witnessing and everything that can imagine. I'm going to tell you something today. I find no fault in him. Amen. 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 You say, well, now, preacher, what's it all about? It's about him. Folks, once the church ever gets a hold of that, it'll do something to change the church and it'll change your life. It's about Christ. It's not about us. Never has been, never will be. And then Luke chapter 23, verse number 47. I want you to look at this. These are the ones who examined him, called him. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. What's a centurion? He's a man over a hundred people, a hundred soldiers. He's the one, if you go back and look at antiquity, you'll see them, they wear their helmet. The centurion is the one that has this thing that goes like this. That's the centurion. He's over a hundred men. He's a man that goes into battle. He's not one sitting on a horse a mile away somewhere calling the battle. He's in the battle. And the men follow that centurion. Amen. And if he's a man, if he's a man that stands like a man and does what a man's supposed to do, men will follow him. Have you ever heard of toxic masculinity? How many has ever heard that term? They're destroying your manhood, men. You're living in a sodomite country. You're living in a pervert nation and they want to rob you of your manhood. Amen. Some of you look shocked to death. What'd you watch last night on TV? Amen. Amen. They got these sodomites kissing each other now on TV. Did you know that when they had uh, I Love Lucy, you remember how many lived, some of you of course don't go back that far, but how many of you remember I Love Lucy? Did you know that they couldn't even put them in the same bed together? Do you remember that? He had his bed and she had her bed. Boy, we've come a long way since I Love Lucy, haven't we? Well, folks, get off the train and get back with God. Men are men and women are women. We love the men and we love the women. We want a man to be a man and a woman to be a woman. It's the way God made it. If you're a man, don't be ashamed of your manhood. If you're a woman, don't be ashamed of your womanhood. You are what you are because of the grace of God and because God put you here like that. Amen. I learned a new French term yesterday for by, totally by accident. <laughs> I don't know how I got into it, but it was, it was mother-in-law. Do you know Peter had a mother-in-law? How many know that? Peter's supposed to be the first pope. So we got to deal with the pope on that issue. He's got to work that one out. But Peter had a mother-in-law. That meant he had a wife. The French word for mother-in-law is Belmar. And I got online and I thought, now what's that word mean? Here's what it means. Beautiful mother. Think on that for a moment. The French language is a beautiful language, by the way. Belmar. Yeah, Bel. Have you ever heard of a southern bell? Have, have you, have you, Belmar. Have you, the word bell, it means beautiful. So Belmar is beautiful mother. So what does that mean, preacher? Does it mean that his mother-in-law is more beautiful than other women? No, it has to do with social relationship. It has to do with building a marriage. You know, when I was a kid, there was a song came out called Mother-in-Law. How many remember that song? Mother-in-law. How many remember that one? The worst person I know, mother-in-law. We'd have a happy home if she'd just leave us alone. Mother-in-law. I'm telling you the truth, folks. Some of you old people, you remember that? Oh yeah, mother-in-law. They got, they got down with the nitty-gritty back in those days. 
Yeah, they did. <laughs> I had a good mother-in-law, by the way, while I'm talking about it. Yes, sir, they couldn't come any better than Mamaw. Amen. Amen. She left us in 2015, and I think of her every day of my life. Yes, I love that dear woman, mother-in-law. You see, the home came from God, and the social relationship and the love that you have is from God. And so when you look at things like that, you begin to say to yourself, you know, maybe I shouldn't let the culture of the day determine who and what I am and how I think, right? Don't let the culture of America, which is decaying, but it's in free fall, folks. It's in free fall. Don't let this culture affect your thinking. Where'd I get it from? Get it from the word of God. And so now we come down to Judas, Pilate's wife, Pilate Herod, the thief and the centurion. And every last one of them said, I find no fault in this man. He's an innocent man. He's done nothing wrong, nothing wrong. And anybody that examines Christ today will have to say the same thing. And let me tell you something. If you ever witness to anybody and try to talk to them about the Lord, don't make it between you and them. Make it between them and Christ. Make them compare their, themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if somebody compares themselves with me, they'll always come out better. Huh. Good night, man. I mean, I'm like the rest of you. I'm not, but if they compare themselves with the Son of God, they're comparing themselves with the Holy One, the Innocent One, the Son of David, the Son of God, the Son of Abraham. They're talking about God Almighty manifest in flesh. That's who you're talking about when you're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when you come to the cross, you get 12 views. You've got the soldiers, the women, the mother, his disciples, the first thief, the second thief, the centurion, the priest, the angels, the devils, Jehovah himself, as he saw, then the passers-by. Everybody gawks when it comes to something like that. You notice? Oh, yeah. They may not have a clue what's going on, but they like to see blood and guts, blood and gore. Have you ever noticed car wreck? People that'll stop, pull off the side of the road just to look. Yes, there's just something about it. Well, Hollywood knows that, and they produce blood and guts movies all the time. Yes, the three things, that, the, the things that sell from Hollywood, blood, guts, and sex. You get that, and you got the people's attention, right? Yes, you do. The average American lives for his sex and his six-pack. How many agree with that? You better believe it. The Bible said the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is what motivates, energizes, and gives life to this culture. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And that's exactly what's happening out there. And you live it. You see it. So your, 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 your position should simply be, Lord, teach me in my culture in this day, in 2023, what are we talking about? The lust of the flesh as it relates to my culture. The lust of the eyes as it relates to my culture. And the pride of life as it relates to my culture. Give me spirit spiritual discernment, teach me, show me what I've got to know to live in this country, to live in this culture, to live in this generation, not 1950, not 1850, but 2023. And you'll be taking the first step toward living for the Lord. Now that brings us down to two thieves. And I'm going to tell you something about it. There's something in there that just keeps drawing me back for this this thief on the cross was a criminal. Lord only knows what all he'd committed. I mean, he was no doubt a, a, a sorry character and he was dying and paying for his sins. Yes, he was, yes, you can't make excuses. Nobody's, nobody's defending his life, but he had spiritual discernment. You see, the other thief was about to go off into eternity. Both of these thieves were headed for eternity. And one thief, all he could do was rail and rant and scream and yell 
and with his hatred and his pain, no doubt I'm sure he had a lot of reason to scream because that's a horrible death. But he wasn't blaming himself and taking in himself his responsibility for what he'd done. He was blaming everybody else. And as, if you're in that boat this morning, you're never going to get anywhere with God and you're, no, you're never going to get anywhere with life. If you spend all your life blaming everybody else for your problems and blaming everybody else for what happens to you, you'll never get past square one. You're going to have to learn to accept responsibility for the choices you make. You've got to learn to accept responsibility for the choices you make. And a lot of the problem with, with us, the problem with a man as he shortened life, his life is a vapor, you're here today and you're gone tomorrow, is that you make a choice that's going to affect you for the rest of your life and you're just here and you're gone. You don't realize that a choice you make at 17 is going to hound you until you're 77. If you live that long and you won't. Because sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Yes, it will. So the choices you make are very important. So what do you make choices? You make choices based upon knowledge, based upon the word of God, based upon what God says in scripture. That's how you make your choices. That means you've got to read the Bible and ask God to give you wisdom from the Bible, to teach you, show you what the scripture. I'll tell you one book of the Bible that is the most practical book in the whole Bible is the book of Proverbs when it comes to telling you how to live your life and how to deal with issues. But if you make another choice, if you make these choices, it's going to lead you to that. And these two thieves made all the wrong choices. Both of them did. They made all the wrong choices. That's how they wound up here. They wound up here. I remember hearing about a preacher. He liked to dress as a preacher, lived in the 1800s. And he would go from one place to the next. He wore a long black uh, coat at that time. But he was one of the worst swindlers that ever lived. He was a lying, deceiving swindler. And then he got to the business of where he began to sell himself to kill people. So he was an assassin. Well, they finally caught up with him. They finally caught up with him. Now, to show you the mindset that a person can get in, this is quite a thing because they took him to a barn. They had the uh, town. They were locked up in jail, and it really happened. A mob came to the jail and broke them out of the jail and said, we're done with you. The court system in this town is corrupt. You're going to pay for what you've done. So they took them and they drug them out of there and they took them out to a barn and they put a noose around their neck and set them up on a box. All they had to do is kick the box out from under them. Down they'd come. Well, this guy had lived his whole life just a, a reprobate. I mean, every, every decision he ever made, he made it on the spur of the moment. Whatever he could reap from it at that moment, that's the way he lived his life. And so there are three of them and they're standing on the box and two of them were begging and pleading for their life. Begging, pleading for their life. What'd they do for them? They hung them. And then they came to him. And here's what he did. He looked him, smiled at him, looked him right in the eye and said, I'm not going to beg for my life. Let it rip. And he kicked the box out from under him. Down he went. And he hung and died right there on the spot. And he died as a fool dies. He died as a fool. He was not ready to go where he went. He was in control all of his life. Are you following? And I'm going to control my death. I'm going to control the way I leave this world. Let it rip. Kick the box. Danny went. And there's a photograph on the internet if you want to look at it. Of them, of them, of, of the uh, hanging in the barn. And nobody was ever prosecuted for it. Back in those days, a lot of times that's the way it happened. Justice was swift. Sometimes you can see them hanging from a pole out there in the street. 
Back in those days, they didn't have a lot of appellate courts and, you know, 20 and 30 years on death row. Uh, they got, uh, justice was meted out pretty quickly. He died as a fool dies. He died as a fool dies. The one ranting and railing and screaming at the Lord Jesus Christ died as a fool died. But the other one, the other one, he looked over at him. He thought to himself, he thought to himself I'm a fool. I'm getting what I deserve. I'm, I did it. I'm here because I did it. I'm dying the death of a fool. Surely there's one thing I can do before I leave this world that's going to make a difference. At least I can make one right decision in all the time I've been on this planet. And he looked over at him and he said, this man's, perfect. This man's done nothing to be up here. This man's, this man's not guilty of anything. And listen, he heard him forgive people. He heard him as he, as he spoke words of love from that cross. And he looked over at him and he thought to himself, if he can be merciful to a mob howling down here screaming for his blood, surely he can find a place of mercy for me. Amen. And here's all he said. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And I'm going to tell you, you can judge the church you're going to and the preacher that you're listening to by the thief on the cross. If you go to a church and all you're getting is the Ten Commandments, the Commandments, the Commandments, the Commandments, the Commandments, they know nothing of the grace of God of the thief on the cross. Sure, it makes them feel good. Sure, it makes them look good. Sure, they got all the commandments. Sure, they got all that. But my dear friend, you'll never be saved by keeping any commandment. He said, Lord, remember me. Now, here's what he said to him. When thou comest into thy kingdom. Do you realize what he said to him? Thy kingdom, while you're hanging on a cross, your kingdom's not a physical kingdom. Your kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. Yeah. Look at the wisdom that quickly that that thief got a hold of. You are coming into a spiritual kingdom. That's exactly right. Lord, remember me. Today, he said, thou shalt be with me in the grave and our souls will sleep on until the resurrection. Look at the truth in this. Look at it. What did he say to him? Today thou shalt be where? With me in paradise. No soul sleep. Immediately when he left the body. And notice where he said now. He said, he didn't say today I will send you to paradise. Or today you will be with your loved ones in paradise. Which is fine, that's a good thing. But that's not what he said to him. He said today thou shalt be with me in paradise that's heaven if he's not ha if, if if the lord jesus christ is not there folks you're looking at an empty place have you ever done that a simple a simple prayer somebody said on a preacher you know i don't really know what to say to god i know i'm not right with god but what what kind of prayer should i pray forget your prayers Amen. forget your prayers a simple thing if you came and you said to him lord Remember me. I'm a sinner. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, save me. God, I don't deserve heaven, but I know you died to keep me out of hell. Whatever words that come to your soul, it's not what you're saying with your mouth, it's your heart. 
for the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and the mouth confession is made unto salvation. From the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. Don't let people put words in your mouth. Speak from your heart. Are you empty today? Are you not worried about what's going on out here? Do you realize that Erdogan, who's the prime minister of Turkey, has already threatened Israel? He's a member of NATO, folks. They have threatened Israel with attack. He says, we are going to attack you. All right? Erdogan, dear friend, if he does carry us through with what he's talking about, don't you think that Iran will jump right in there with them? Well, go home and read Ezekiel 38 and 39, and there you'll find Persia right smack in the middle of it. And isn't it an amazing thing that all of a sudden Putin shows up talking to Erdogan and he's talking to, to Iran? Don't you think that's quite remarkable 2,000 years ago that they even know they'd exist? And here these elements are coming together? Folks, you are on the verge in this nation, probably in this world, very well, of World War III. It could happen. And you know what's going to happen? I'm going to hear a shout. Hallelujah to God. Come up hither. I'm coming. <laughs> wait on me. Well, you don't have to wait on you. The Bible said, change in a moment the twinkling of an eye. Are you ready? Say, I'm not preacher. Well, you're in the midst of friends. We love you. This is what all this preaching's about. We love you. You can come now. You say, I've tried before, preacher. Forget trying. Just trust the one that you're coming to. Trust him. Here's what he said. If any man comes unto me, I will in no wise cast him out. Take him at his word. Because it's all about him anyway. Can you do that? Bow your head for a moment. And Father, I've delivered what you put on my soul. I've got peace now. I can rest. And sit down. I can rest, Lord. I can go home and sleep got peace in my soul I've done my thing but let the sweet Holy Ghost in this house this morning Lord move in the hearts of the people Lord I have no desire to see any soul in this house go off into a damnation of eternity without God without Christ oh my heart's desire people in here I don't even know their names I don't know who they are but I would love to see everyone in this house be certain to know for certain that they're born again, that they're saved, that they're washed in the blood of Christ. So I pray for them. I pray for them in Jesus' name. Anybody raise your hand this morning and say, Preacher Lawson, I want you to pray for me because I'm, I'm not sure. Well, that's okay. That's an honest answer. That's what we want. It's honesty. We don't want a bunch of, of, of religious put on garbage. God bless that hand right there. Anybody else raise your hand this morning and say, I'm not sure, Preacher. And that's good. That's an honesty. That's an honest answer. I'm not sure, preacher. Anybody else? Raise your hand. Anybody else? The Holy Ghost is in this house today, folks. Praise Amen. God. Amen. Father, I pray for that soul that raised his hand. Lord, let him understand we're his friend. In every way we possibly can, we try to help him, Lord. Show him how simple salvation really is. It's not about a bunch of stuff, a bunch of things. It's all about a person. And may you bring him to that Lord Jesus Christ, to that person with the sweet Holy Ghost. Do what this preacher cannot do. I've done mine. I've preached. I brought the message, Lord. But this is your work, not mine, Father. You're the one who reaches into the heart of a man or a woman, whatever the case is, in your holy name. Amen. Let's stand up now. Altar's open for you. It's open.